Hi, I'm John Kerwin. Welcome to my podcast, Open Minded, the show all about mental well-being. Each episode, I interview experts and thought leaders to bring you the latest developments in the world of mental well-being. My guests talk about their personal well-being journeys and how they look after the well-being of themselves and their teams. Thanks for joining me. Let's get into it. Well, today my guest is Nikki Hart. I've known Nikki, well, put it this way, we go way back, people. Uh, she helped me when I was uh, playing footy. So we'll just leave it at that, uh, Nikki, we'll leave it at that. Um, so she's always worked in, in, in with, with sports people, ultra marathon runners, all sorts of different people. She became most well known as being a weight management expert. You may remember her as the evil diet witch, which she never is. She's not a witch at all. When she hosted her two TV series, Eat Yourself Whole and The Fat Chance. Throughout her career, Nikki has one of continual focus, helping to make New Zealand's healthier in both physical and mental well-being. She promotes family and medical nutrition with a focus on normalizing good food practices. Nikki, welcome. Always awesome to see you. I'm really excited about today because um, there's a lot going on in mental health and diet. There's a lot going on in diet in general. There's a lot of noise um, around the place. I often say this, Nikki, and I've said this to you before. You know, we get all this information. Should I just eat a whole cow? Should I just eat the vegetable garden? Should I be Haleo, Puglio, Julio, or whatever? And in the end, I just open a pack of chips and have a glass of wine because I don't know what to do. But maybe before we jump into some of this stuff, um, how have you been? And maybe to our listeners who don't know you, just give us a little bit of a background. Um, hi, everyone. Um, so, yeah, like John said, I've been probably doing nutrition you know, over 27-odd years or so, so a long time. Uh I have coped with COVID like all of you and um, there's been some ups and downs and like anything I think um, it's showing us where the gaps are in um, how we go forward and protect the rest of um, New Zealand with our health. Um, so yeah, so I think for me it's looking at what we do and what lessons we learn from um, what's happened in the last two and a half years and how we protect our population even more is what I'm after. The, the interesting thing for me, and if you talk about COVID, um, people either went one of two ways. They went, um, you know, complete, you know, I'm not going to drink, I'm going to get into this fitness, I'm going to do this and do that, or bugger it, I'm going to drink wine and eat and enjoy food and all that sort of stuff. But the question I want to ask you is, why is, do you think, why do you think that nutrition is put into the physical box when really it's mental? Uh, okay, so you're quite correct about the changes that we saw within COVID. And there were, um, if you think about a population on a continuum, those who were already underweight, anxiety and stress actually allowed them to tip over further. And we saw a lot more um, weight loss, especially in our eating disordered space. We saw a lot of that. Then on the other end of the continuum, people who were already stressed and comfort eating and not feeling well all of a sudden added more to that. So we saw that continuum widen um, where we saw both ends of the spectrum, both eating and under eating. So we saw a lot of that. Um, and again, that was um, anxiety and depression based, absolutely, as well as comfort, you know, and uncertainty. So we had that. But, you know, there was the whole, um, oh, well, you know, um, we better buy all this food now because what if we get short on food? So we had all of that first where people were buying more food and then they couldn't store it because they had so much food that it was going to waste. So we had all of that. So we had that issue. Then we had the issue of not, for me, 
what COVID showed me was the inequities in health. So those who were already underserved were further underserved globally. You know, like you saw um, at-risk populations even more at risk. So that's when we saw food banks being slammed and that kind of thing. So for me, looking at it, I think um, that's what I saw. I, I saw that divide grow. So, yeah. so I'm really, I'm really passionate, as you know, about the mental health space. But tell me your thoughts on eating for your mental health and some of the things you would recommend I do if I was feeling a little flat or just to maintain my mental health. Okay, so yeah, so you're quite right in that question before you asked me what was physical and how come we think about eating and it's just feeding the machine, just thinking of it feeding our actual bodies, but we actually forget about our heads. You know, so what people forget is 120 grams of glucose is needed by the brain every day to be able to think, to be able to cognitively be on its game. So what if you're under eating carbohydrates or you're not eating whole foods, or perhaps you're eating an ultra processed diet that's high in sugar and salt and fat, it's not only going to your body, but it's going to your brain. And I think that's what we forget. So when us nutritionists and dietitians bang on about eating fruit and vegetables, we're not just doing it to say about your whole body. We're actually thinking about what that's doing to your head. So um, it's that for us. We want you to think of yourself as a whole being and not just your physical but you're mental as well, and you're right. Um, I'm really excited. Um, I worry, actually, if I was going to be honest, I worry about winter because people start throwing in supplements and things because they think they need them, when in fact, actually, could we take a really good look at your diet and see what's missing, and maybe I could play in that space to figure out what things you are missing, which, you know, you'd be surprised. So those of us that left school at a young age and get, <laughs> and get thrown all these numbers, so... 120 grams of glucose if, re, translates to what? Because one thing that really annoys me is I don't know how to, and I don't know if, I'm, I'm sure people do, so I know a lot of the sports people now understand, you know, this is versus this. But if I want to get 120 grams of glucose into my body today for my mental health, what actually do I need? And it comes back down to the serving guidelines that we slid under the radar in November 2020, where we aligned with Australia and we looked at actually what we should be doing for our well-being, both our head and our bodies. So if you had two pieces of toast, you and I are having breakfast and we had some Vogels, John. Yes. So two pieces of Vogels um, is roughly 30 grams or so of carbohydrate. So there you go. There's two pieces. Okay, yeah. so you need 120 grams of glucose. So, you know, you need a lot more carbs than just two pieces of Vogels. There's roughly, I don't know, 30 grams of carbohydrate in a banana, you know. Um, so it's about getting, uh, carbohydrate comes from plant and grains. So if you take those out of your diet and you focus more on protein, you're going to be getting the protein for muscle repair, but you might not be getting the carbohydrate for um, quick thinking and quick reactions and just working something through rationally um, if you're carbo-depleted. So, yeah, it's, it's a big deal. So, yeah. And we were talking off-air. One thing that really disturbed me is how, how what sort of stuff have you seen lately within your practice where people are suffering from anxiety or the stress of COVID and, it, and it's actually affecting their eating and their not eating? How What would you recommend to maybe a parent who's who's listening to this and, and maybe one of their child is just not eating, gone yeah. from a normal eater to actually 
Yeah, it is. It's really scary, and you're quite right. Um, it seems to have been um, some people during COVID found some resilience, but what we found is in our young people, they suffered more with anxiety and depression, and we saw that. Um, and so what we're finding is, you know, they um, either uh, don't want to eat socially or they've gone off certain things or they're only eating highly processed foods. So they're at one end of the spectrum or the other. What I'm finding really intriguing is the amount of studies being done on what I call nutritional psychiatry is a lovely term for it. And one's called the SMILES trial. Um, and it was looking at how we can add food as an adjunct to mental health therapy. And um, a, a key example, they took these boys um, and they weren't really good at eating fruit. And so they did a trial on kiwi fruit, um, which is quite good because here we are in New Zealand and it's kiwi fruit season. Um, so they found that young men who only had half a kiwi fruit a day had a very low mental health aspect. But those who got two kiwi fruit every day for 12 weeks felt a truckload better. Now, it's not just vitamin C. It's the little things that are in fruit and vegetables that give them their colour that we think are the protective things. So it's it's smaller than vitamins and minerals, John. It's This is why we talk about color. It's things called carotenoids, which is a big word, right? But carotenoids are in um, orange-colored vegetables and green leafy vegetables, right? So spinach and kale and that kind of Brussels sprouts and that kind of thing. And we found that Elaine Rush, who's this amazing professor here in New Zealand, uh, Professor Elaine Rush um, does all this work in vegetables and stuff in New Zealand. And she did a study and she found that she looked at people from the ages of 16 to 85, I think it was, and 82% of them were at low to moderate risk for having a low carotenoid status, which means we simply aren't eating enough vegetables. It's as simple as that. Now, if carotenoids make a big difference to your mental health, it's not hard to eat a carrot. You know, it's just like, don't look for a vitamin, go and get a carrot or um, add a handful of spinach into that smoothie you were going to make, you know, or oh, I don't know, John. It's you can add. So, so what you're saying is we, we, we need to start looking at vegetables different because when I think of vegetables and I got brought up with meat and three veggies. Um, so just add them just eat them just like don't worry don't try and do them also for dinner throw it in your smoothie throw it in your just put it in whenever you can uncooked yeah it doesn't matter no actually do you know that sometimes the carotenoids are more available when they're cooked so for example there's a thing called lycopene in tomatoes you'll love this because you're the italian heritage john so cooked tomatoes contain more lycopene which is more protective than raw same with pumpkin. The carotenoids in pumpkin is more available. You don't eat raw pumpkin. It wouldn't taste very nice, would it? But you cook it and it gets really dark orange. That's fantastic. So uh, uh, it's that. No, yeah, so uh, sorry, I'm thinking out loud because this really intrigues me. I just want to quickly get back to the kiwi fruit. Do you eat it with the skin or not? Well, I find the yellow ones aren't so hairy, so I could probably shuffle those. The green ones, though, I feel like I'm flossing, so I probably wouldn't. <laughs> probably this, is, this is the problem, right? You hear all this stuff, and it's really interesting, and I'd like to go back um, to, you know, the guidelines that get put out that get lost. And then we start hearing, you know, we get like I started the program, we get all this information, like someone says, oh, you should eat the skin, right? I mean, how do we, how do we, how do we cut the bullshit out of actually what we're supposed to be doing. Okay, so 
Um, you wouldn't eat orange with a skin on. You wouldn't eat a banana with a skin on, right? So sometimes I think the practicality of it is you've got to look at the thing and go, okay, how am I going to enjoy this? <laughs> and the trick is, if it doesn't appeal with the skin on, then peel it. But understand that something like an apple or a pear with that skin, that skin contains a really cool soluble fiber, which is actually good for your gut. And, you know, we bang on and I, we talk about the microbiome and bacteria and the bowel. And sometimes we just overcomplicate it for everybody out there and just go, look, if it looks good and you want to eat it with the skin on, nice. Um, if you don't like raw food, but you prefer cooked veg, sweet, that's fine too. Get it in whatever way you can. So tell me about winter and the difference and some of the things we should be doing for our mental health around diet. Because I know okay. you're excited. Sorry. I know you. <laughs> winter taking me. I'm going, yeah, I know. <laughs> oh, God. Okay, so winter's an amazing thing because we've come out of the back of summer. We've, a lot of people feel really good at the end of the summer, and that's because we've been exposed to a huge amount of vitamin D, which is called the happiness vitamin, because it... Um, helps with us feeling good. That's what vitamin D does. But with darker days, people can often be more sedentary. They don't want to go out and exercise. And you can actually feel that seasonal aversion disorder where you actually just feel a bit flat and a bit awful. So the trick is, how do you do it? Well, you need some sunlight exposure. That's really important. So even if you get out for 30 minutes a day, and it doesn't mean to be all in one go. It could be 15 in the morning and 15 in the night. That's important. Um, but my thing is... Um, I remember my nana saying to me, eat within the season you're living in. And it was something I've always remembered. And the fact that, you know, produce in season is cheaper, John, for starters, because you know what? There's a lot of food poverty going on because the price of food is really horrendous, right? So if you can eat in season, nine times out of 10, it's cheaper. If you really want those berries, though, because you're not going to buy them fresh at $19 a punnet, buy frozen. Frozen and sometimes frozen vegetables have got more nutrients in them because they've been snap frozen at, at right on harvest. So there can often be more vitamin C in frozen peas, for example, than fresh peas. So um, don't become elitist with food, I guess, in winter. Yeah, I think um, I'm very fortunate because I live with an Italian um, and any Italian who you live with will tell you that. But but the interesting thing about them is they are brought up understanding and knowing the seasons. Have have those lines been blurred? Do we so if if I, if we were going to give advice to people, if you go to the supermarket right now, are the cheapest vegetables actually winter vegetables? Yes. So that's why mandarins are really cheap at the moment. That's why there's kiwi fruit coming to season. That's why there's more Brussels sprouts. There's more of those kind of vegetables around. Whereas, you know, tomatoes have to be grown in hothouses and lettuces and hydroponic and those kind of things. So you've got to start thinking, well, maybe I need... It's not that you shouldn't have those things, but see, back in the day in Italy, what they would do is they would um, preserve all their tomatoes over the summertime. There'd be a lot of preserving going on so that they could use the... They bottle their sunshine, for want of a bit. They bottle their tomatoes. Um, so in New Zealand, what I suggest people do is in the winter time especially if vegetables are really you're more a salad person and you're not into it think about soup soup is really like a hug in a bowl um, I'm a big fan of soup I think it's a great way to get um, fiber and fluid and vegetables into you if you've gained a lot of weight over that COVID time we also know that it keeps you fuller for longer so if you're looking for some weight maintenance Super lunchtime can help keep you full on less cal calories. So 
you know, um, and it's a great way to get a different variety of vegetables in when you eat a bowl of soup. Hugging a bowl, I like that. Hugging a bowl. So, how many bowls do I need to get what I need for me? Would I have one bowl? Would that be enough of, say, mixed winter veggies or whatever? You know what's really amazing is bigger bodies need more vegetable and antioxidant serves. So, you're bigger than me, right? So, I need at least five handfuls of vegetables a day. You would need at least seven. At least seven. No way. There's no way, Nikki, I eat that. Then you've got to find a way to get it off. You've been telling me off for 30 years probably. But um, Uh, how how can you physically eat that much vegetables? Okay, so you've got to make it look good because, you know what, we are a meat-centric country. It's what we do. It's kind of like my my mum would say, honey, what are we having for dinner? Meaning what slab of meat she was dragging out of the freezer to base a meal on. You know, you would have liked that as a butcher's son, my darling. Um, But, you know... um, she would always make sure that there was other colors on my plate. So you know what, if you didn't like, say you didn't like cooked carrots, she'd make coleslaw. So she knew we were getting veggies in another way. Or she would give us a bowl of soup before dinner to help us stay full, so that if we didn't like the cooked vegetables, at least we had the soup beforehand. So, yeah, yeah, no, I I sort of get that. There's another question that I'd like to um, ask you. Are the lines between processed food and fresh foods being blurred so where does that line finish so for example you you spoke about um tomatoes being you know jar cool when does that then become processed or is it ever and canned foods like getting some of these good beans and stuff like that especially in new zealand where it's hard to find beans where you soak overnight which i really love I know. is that blurred if i go out and have a good meal in a restaurant is that processed? Where do, where do we put that line nowadays? Okay, so there's ultra-processed, which is your um, white, beige, yellow bags of chips, instant noodles, no kind of fiber nutritional value. They're just, they've been really ultra-processed, high fat, high salt, high sugar. Then if we move along the spectrum, there's a thing called lightly processed. So that's when you would buy bagged salads. So the salad's already been bagged so that and washed so that you don't actually have to go and get the lettuce and do it yourself. So that's lightly processed. Lightly processed can also mean frozen. And when we're in a time of food um, expense like now, um, those foods that are frozen don't have any added salt or sugar. So it means then that there's nothing in them that's bad for you and they're probably going to last longer than you know, a bendy carrot that's been lying in your fridge for four days or whatever. So, you know, I think we need to we need to stop feeling like we're having a uh, a non nutritional um, or we're not being good to our families if we can't buy fresh when frozen can be good, and that goes with canned things as well. So, if you can buy them salt reduced or sugar reduced or only in spring water then they're going to be better than the ones that are probably in salt or brine or have a lot of syrup. So if you can just look at those and go, okay, how do I do this? You know, it's not that it's good or bad. It's like, how do I play within that ultra processing space? Okay, incredibly busy. Got 455 million emails. Um, I'm working all day. I get home. I'm tired. I've had a guts full. I need to chuck something on. My choices are I'll stop and get Dirty Bird on the way home, KFC. 
um, McDonald's or something like that, or oh maybe a maybe I'll stop and get the 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 good version of that. I'll get a chicken wrap or something like that. Or I get home. What do I actually do if I'm going to take this seriously? If you get home and you're just thinking, wow, I need to do something fast and nutritious. Um, that's the majority of my clients. I think a lot of people are overwhelmed and they're trying to go back to work if they haven't been in the workspace for a long time. Um, people have forgotten how to drive in traffic and traffic now. There's carnage again out there. Um, and, you know, you can get home and it's easy to want to reward yourself with wine, chips, that kind of stuff, right? So my thing would be um, a colour first. If, if that's the only thing people remember is put a colour in first. So it could be there's a jar of hummus lying in the cupboard and you have a carrot with it while you're making some dinner. It could be that you buy those pouches of soup because you haven't had time to make soup and you chuck it in the microwave and you have a couple of bits of toast with it. It could be that you think, oh, I need something a bit gutsy. So you could go via the supermarket and get a rotisserie chicken and break it down and that's got to be better than spending, you know, whatever you were going to spend in a fast food restaurant. And then you could always buy a bag of salad with that and, you know, some fresh bread rolls and at least then that's an easy throw together dinner. So for me, it's kind of like pick your battles, you know, and, um, and don't feel like you haven't done the right thing if you haven't cooked it from scratch. Yes, when you've got the energy to do it, do it. And maybe when you do have the energy to make something in bulk, take a portion of it and put it in the freezer for that Wednesday night when you get home and you don't care, but you know it's in there, so all you have to do is defrost it. And that's that's good when you're, uh, you know, when you you you've got no time, right? So you just you make it, make a bit more, chuck it in, because you often spoke to me about planning, you know, thinking ahead and realizing that we need to do this. I'm always getting told off because I'm saying what's for dinner, but I guess. I guess the planning side is important as well. Yeah, you know, I've got um, two athletic kids myself and trying to juggle their man work and everything else gets a bit chaotic. And so I will often, my kids love meatballs, John. Oh, love meatballs. But we make truckloads of them and yeah. then we'll have them for dinner that night. But then I bag them or portion them. And so we've got meals that are stuffed in my freezer so that if I'm not organized, I can lift that out in the morning, it's defrosted, and all I have to do is cook some pasta and some veg to go with it, and we're done. So if we're coming in late at 7.30 at night from whatever sport we're at, you know. Is, is pasta good for you in the evening? Yeah, nothing wrong with pasta. However, John, oh. give me your fist. Look at your hand. Your hand's bigger than mine. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So this is the thing. Um, there's no, and it's a good source of carbohydrate for your brain. Okay, so that's a good thing with pasta. But the trick is, people in New Zealand, our portioning is not so great. So the thing is, if you could evenly spread your carbohydrate over the day, you are less likely to binge or overeat later on. So if you spread it out, your blood sugar stay more even, you cope better, you're not so hungry or hangry <laughs> because of, um, it's all of those things, right? So, yeah. In your work, we talk about blue zones, and I've actually done a bit of study on this because um, there's um, places in Italy mm -hmm. uh, where traditional diet is supportive of long life and good overall health. Yes. What are the ingredients for that kind of diet? I mean, what are they talking about when they talk about that? Um, this is my favorite topic in the whole world, um, looking at longevity and 
why these people um, have such low risk of things like dementia and heart disease and all these things. And the commonality is that it is a there is a collectiveness with them as a community. They look after each other for starters. That's really important. Um, they um, they will celebrate through food. They might even have an odd glass of wine, John, but they walk to their friend's house to get it. There's no binge behavior with it, right? They, um, it's a plant-based diet, but it doesn't mean that they're not eating animal products because they are as well, but it's an adjunct. So they get their grains and pastas and vegetables and things together and then go, what meat are we adding to it? So it's not the meat-centric thing that New Zealanders do. It's the opposite. Were you, so, pointing, and you, were you, point, were you pointing at me then, Nikki? Because <laughs> I've never thought of about that. Do the vegetables and then add. And yeah. I've always done it the other way around. Yeah. And, you know, and, and, and I think that's, you know, and there's lots of new work coming out on appetite suppression and they're finding that they eat their vegetables and meats and things first and then they'll have their carbohydrate afterwards or, you know, so there's lots of ways in which they eat that's, interesting and they eat a lot of legumes and they have nuts like a hand not whole jars of them john like you did last time but a small hand you know 30 grams of nuts three or four times a week and your heart will love you it's it's really amazing it is so protective Any nuts mixed nut and in new zealand it'd be really good if one or two of them could be brazil nuts not one or two handfuls one or two nuts um because again it's that whole messaging you know we hear things like oh i've got to eat nuts and the next thing you know you're eating buckets off them but it's 30 grams you know and it's that's what they do they eat to their 80 percent full they um grow vegetables when they can and they might they live in apartments so that might just be potted herbs but they're using them in their food all the time. How do we make New Zealand a blue zone? Because we should, I, I always remember being in Japan and saying, you know, we should just be one big market garden down here, shouldn't we? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think we have a real opportunity um, with um, all of the, um, uh, all the agencies that are working together on food wastage. I think there's a lot of that. I definitely think that um, with the Treaty of Waitangi, I think we have a real opportunity to use Kaimawana and, and um, our waterways and stuff and actually make that part of our blue zone. So it's got to be all of it. You know, I remember um, my Uncle Dover taking me and foraging for watercress and things and creeks. Um, and it was fun, you know, it was good stuff. Um, and we shared food. I think so. I think there's a lot of that. I think we have to go back to that, John. There's got we've got to move away from this elitism around food and share more food. And I'm seeing it, you know, in streets where sometimes people will just put bags of mandarins or fijos out on their letterbox and go free, you know. Or um, and I think if we did a little bit more of that, the, we could share more food, so there would be less hunger um, and less food poverty across the board. Yeah, I think it's. Uh it's really interesting about wastage so how how do we because i always talk about if it's meant to be it's up to me you know so how how do you control that wastage in your own home mm. you need to get down to understanding what leftovers do or how, how would you recommend we do that um i you know it's it's not just us it starts bigger than us it's the um it's the growers that don't get enough um, migrant workers and so we're left with millions of dollars of apples rotting on trees you know that's food wastage it's food wastage when things are in a supermarket and they're 
on their use by date, but not best before. And we're trying to get them into agencies so we can get them into food banks and that kind of, so it starts bigger, right? But when you're in the home, things that you can do is maybe not buy as much and plan your food so there isn't as much wastage there. Because I find people are really, you know, they're very well-meaning and they go and they buy all this food and they put it in their fridge and then on a Saturday they throw it out because it's all wilty and manky and awful. Mm. And I'm like, well, maybe you need to use more canned foods. Maybe you need to use your freezer more. You know, because I think there's that thing in our brains where we say it has to be fresh to be best. And maybe we need to get away from that elitism and go, okay, how do I stock a pantry and a freezer so that I don't have as much food wastage? How do we, so JK has come in to see you again after 30 years and, and um, he's still got the problem. Like I say, um, you know, drinking's not my problem, stopping is. And I'm a little bit like that with food. And I think it's just part of my personality that I'm always battling with. So if I was sitting in your office, how would you what would you say to me about trying to disconnect that bin side of it? How how do you advise people? Because you can give me, you know, like you say that you've been saying to me for many years, JK, it's a fistful of meat. Yeah, and I'm I'm eating eight fistfuls because it tastes so good. Ah, it tastes so good. Um, so I think it's really important that we take guilt and shame away from eating. Guilt I and shame. We have because. Wow. There are people, because there is so much information, John, you know, like when I started back in the day, Google did not exist, right? You and I were around when Google wasn't around. And so I was the font of all knowledge. My, you know, people came to me and they trusted me with that information, whereas now they are um, cherry picking pieces of information that they like or a friend has told them about or an influencer has told them about, but it's not credible. So they're cobbling it together and thinking that that's how they have to eat. And so then they end up, you know, not getting all the nutrients and things that they need. And then when they do eat, overeat or eat something that they think is now a bad food, they go, well, I've stuffed it now, so I might as well eat the whole packet. Because there's guilt and shame around the messaging. So we actually have to take that away, you know. So um, I, I, the manufacturers are trying really hard by putting serving sizes on the back of things. And we need to kind of get people to start to understand that. Like... A portion of crisps, John, is 15 chips, not 15 handfuls. I don't know anyone that opens a bag of chips and doesn't eat the whole thing, ever. Then maybe we buy a bag of little bags because they're portion controlled. So it's that. It's not that the food's bad, but it's the, it's the frequency of consumption. It's the we tend to eat it mindlessly. So it's the kind of thing that you'll open a bag of chips beside you and you're watching the footy on the tally or whatever, and the next thing you know, the bag's empty because you've been mindlessly watching something else and just eating. Whereas have, you have you got a camera in my house? <laughs> Are you looking <laughs> at me through the television, maybe? <laughs> Everybody, you know? So, we've, so the, I've got rules with eating. So no eating standing up because when you're standing up, you've tr you're doing other chores and bits and pieces, so you're shoveling food in, right? No eating in front of technology or a TV, a screen. Don't, oh. don't eat in front of a screen because you're concentrating on something else. You are not concentrating on the food you're eating. And the other thing is don't eat in the car because I see people eat huge amounts of food in cars while they're driving around and they're not concentrating. They're not being mindful of what they're eating. They're mindless. Wow. Tell me one easy change, everyone can make to take a step towards better nutrition? One thing. 
Use your hands as tools to determine how much you need to eat. Because the only thing that doesn't change with weight loss or weight gain is the size of your hands and the size of your feet. So if you use the palm of your hand as a portion for meat or chicken or your whole hand if it's fish, and you compare that to a child's hand, that's the right size for the child and it's the right size for you because your hands fits your food. Same with carbs, it should be about fist size. And if it's vegetables, it should be two cupped hands. So how about the wine situation then? So how bad how how bad is it as how bad is it for our diets? So my my father-in-law drank most days, probably never got drunk, um, lived to 94, pretty good life. Um, he was he was probably having the diet that you spoke about. Ate quite a bit at lunch, way less yeah. at dinner. So it was like he'd have a big lunch, two or three courses, and then at dinner he'd have just have either leftovers or soup or, yeah. you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I he did drink wine. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. And so that was part of the blue zones again, right? But again, it was in moderation. Um, I think people don't realise how many calories is in it. And I think, you know, um, in COVID, the people, the, the thing that I saw the most was in everyone was either baking sourdough bread or drinking a truckload of alcohol. Um, I have problems as a nutritionist and a dietitian knowing that it's easy access to alcohol that I have a problem with here in New Zealand. I think um, because it means that people are unconsciously drinking more. They're not conscious of what they're doing. I think we've got that. I think we need to rest our livers. You know, like I would rather that you have, you know, if you can drink in moderation, we know that even for females, even over one or two glasses a day leads to an increased risk in breast cancer, for example. So, you know, I'm very mindful about setting minimums and maximums with alcohol. I think knowing that if you can, if you have a addictive or you think that your personality is rip, shit or bust, I would say, then you need to at least have three to four alcohol three days a week. And then when you do drink, you need to stick within the portion guidelines that LAC can then recommend. How long, because I think just chatting with you, my problem is probably the amount I eat. How long is it going to take me if I go, right, as of tonight, I'm going to do the old hands and I'm going to try and make my hands as big as I can. Um, <laughs> so how long will it, it is, I don't know how to word this, how, is quantity a habit? Or does your stomach stretch? I mean, if I'm going to eat less, what happens and how long do I have to put up with being hungry at the end of my meal? <laughs> but are you hungry because you haven't actually increased the vegetable content? So in your brain, it's that guilt-shame restriction thing where you're saying, I have Nikki's mean. She's making me reduce my meat and my carbohydrate. But you're not saying, oh, wow, she's really cool. I'm getting all these other vegetables. So it's the way you look at this, right? So if I really increase the fiber load through vegetables and legumes and things on your plate, you shouldn't be as hungry, John. You just shouldn't. And so it's getting that mind shift, you know, and it's, it's people just understanding that we probably need not as much as what we think we do. Um, we certainly, you know, if you were going back to your playing days, love, you could eat almost whatever you liked because you were expending so many calories, right? Athletes do that. It's like so much fun feeding an athlete because it's like throwing buns at an elephant. They can eat whatever they like. It's marvelous. Or us, we don't move as much. And so you actually have to say, have I, have I, what's my energy input and output? Like, am I, am I using this as fuel or what am I doing with it? Am I, you know? 
the 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 interesting thing about that so so you're saying if because one thing that i've noticed i think i do meat and then add um you know add vegetables probably not enough but what do you what how do we combat this constant information and change in um like i said before you know i don't know whether to be paleo julio julio eat a whole cow or just eat the vegetable garden so how how do we actually block that out and go right i'm going to do this what would you recommend i do for a week to try it for a month to try it if, if you're listening to this and you had a guts full of of your gut or how you feel or your self-esteem or whatever because fads or diets don't last do they so how what would you say to people to put them on the right track so that you and i talk in a year and i say shit i'm you know i'm actually adding meat to my vegetables rather than the other way around how long does it take what would you suggest we do um i think it's about making the changes small and consistent so if you don't eat fruit at breakfast time, for example, fruit's not your gig, that could be the first change you make. Today, I'm going to have a piece of fruit with my breakfast. That could be the first change you make. It could be that you don't like eating leafy greens, but you go, man, I could take a handful of it and chuck it in that smoothie, and I'll just drink it, because I don't want to chew it, I'll just drink it. So the path of least resistance is going to be the thing that you will probably cope with. If you make it too hard, if you make it too good. And that's the thing is everybody's looking for that change that's quick. I had a beautiful, beautiful man. I wrote on my Facebook page um, a couple of days ago. Six months ago, he came to me in a very, very bad state, mental health, physical health, the whole bit. COVID had pummeled him. And um, and he said, I don't want to take the medications. They tell, they're telling me now I'm a diabetic. I've got heart disease. I've got high blood pressure. I've gained weight and I'm not in a good space, Nick. And six months later, he came in and he's eight kilos lighter and he is no longer a diabetic. And he, his blood um, liver levels are better. His cholesterol's down. And he said to me, I just did what you told me to do. I ate fruit and vegetables. I walked every day. Even when it was raining, I put my coat on and went out. He said, I didn't have to walk far, but I just did it consistently. And I went, and that's it. So do supplements have a role? So um, I'm probably bad at eating fish. And people say, well, take omega-3. Yeah. Um, there was a study done in Consumer Mag on, on this, and, you know, like, some's better than none, but half of them don't contain all the omega-3 they say they do. And so then there becomes this influencer war on which supplements are best, and this one's better than that one. And, you know, I always think when we're dealing with our athletes who are doing a lot of exercise, we may supplement them if they're going overseas because they're not getting their usual diet. Or we may um, supplement them with turmeric or curcumin or something because it's an anti-inflammatory you know like we all use those kind of things are supplements magic i think they provide nutritional insurance when the diet isn't great but would i stay on them only if you couldn't maintain a, a diet that you think is wholesome and, and good um, uh, so i'm interested about this turmeric discussion getting older and and worrying about my joints that are creaking yeah. And someone said, like, if you're doing a smoothie, 
would you say what would you say as a supplement rather than a pill you just buy some turmeric from the supermarket yeah. and just put a teaspoon in well how do you do it well i'm looking at this all all the time looking at um so again remember at the beginning of the conversation i said it's something this the things that are in these foods they're things that are smaller than vitamins and minerals so the thing that's in turmeric for example is curcuminoids which are these little things but they're not always present you know like you it's not always consistent because botanicals grow at different times of the year. So sometimes they've got more of that in them. They're more dense than other times. So I guess what I'm saying is at it, I think it's really useful. I mean, there's some great work being done on it from an anti-inflammatory point of view. There's great work being done on it for um, pain relief, for that kind of stuff. It's been quite useful. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's not magic. It's not going to fix a bad diet. So any supplement you take isn't going to fix a diet that actually isn't right. So you actually have to look at that first. So eat the two kiwi fruit, have a coleslaw, you know, uh, get that stuff right. Add some beans. I'm really big on beans, John. I love legumes. I'm a big yeah. bean guy. Eat so much more in Italy. And here it's, they're quite hard to find, um, quite hard to find in their natural state where you soak them overnight. But are the tinned ones okay? Yeah, fine. Actually, um, again, if we go back to Professor Elaine Rush, she did a study on our vegetable, not only what we make here in New Zealand, but what we export, and I was horrified. So in New Zealand, um, over 71% of our arable land is done in dairy and meat, right? 2% of New Zealand's land is in vegetable growing. Off that, that includes wine, grapes, and apples, which are big exports. So that doesn't leave stuff all room for all the other vegetables we need. So we, our highest consumption, we make 11.7 servings of potatoes a day. And like, that's how much we make per person in New Zealand. 7.5% of our servings is exported. In New Zealand, when we eat potatoes, we're either potatoes or chips. And that's our first veg, that's our number one popular vegetable in New Zealand. That just speaks volumes for the lack of colour in our diet. So we've got, we, you know, legumes can be grown here in New Zealand. We need to put more effort into those. But if you can't, buy the canned ones, make sure you drain them and use them. I meet a lot of vegetarians that are like reformed smokers. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, yeah. yeah. Um, but tell me a little bit about it. I, I have a few uh, friends and stuff that are that are vegetarians, and they reckon their life's amazing because they're vegetarians. But what what's your assessment of this? Um, okay, so look, you do not have to throw the baby out with the bathwater. You know, that's my biggest issue. Is people again? It's like another trend, right? But at least you know, for a bonus for us nutritionists and dietitians, we're happy that everyone's eating more vegetables. That's great. Um, but yet, what's really interesting about a vegetarian-based diet is you have to be careful that some uh, members of a population are going to need certain supplements for their diet if they're vegetarian, um, especially women if they're wanting to get pregnant um, or uh, ch children with neurological. So we have to make sure that they're getting all these other vitamins and minerals because you can't always get them in everything that you're eating as a vegetarian or an extreme vegan. So that you know that's even a tighter version of vegetarianism. But I believe in flexitarian, which you're going to love, John. It just means let's base your plate on your veggies and your pasta and add your meat to it. 
So you don't have to, you know, eat bean sprouts and rice cakes for me to get this right. I think it's about how you look at changing our meat-centric way. I think it's that. I'd like to just touch on Pacifica because um, a friend of mine went to see a really good mate of mine, Tofinga, um, a comedian the other night, and he yeah. I didn't see it, I would have loved to, but he was talking about um, his own health and his, his journey. But Pacifica, especially Pacific Island people, often have better diets at home than in New Zealand and, and, and a flow on into the poorer health outcomes as a result. Yeah. What, what, what would you say would be a Pacifica diet that we could... Oh, yeah, totally. Um, I, John, you'll really love this. I cycled around Samoa on a bike. <laughs> it, was like, it was wicked. And I loved it because I got to see the land up close, right? And um, you're right. They are, one of those islands is what we call the food basket for the other island. Now, that island um, is almost on a subsistence level, but they, they eat what they grow. But there's no fast food on that island, John. Mm. Um, there's no corner dairies. There's no petrol stations with chips and chocolate bars. It doesn't exist. So I think what's happening is in a Pacifica way, we um, have westernized a diet and done Pacifica a disservice because that they often live in areas which I call food deserts, where it takes it's so much effort to get to a supermarket, but they can go around the corner to a fast food outlet and get dinner. You know, um, or so, but you know, I've got some people out um, in Otara who are growing taro and sharing it as a community, which is super cool, right? So then you're getting back to tra tra traditional eating, you know, that's what I love. Um, and we did that all around Samoa, you know, like you ate, but see, it was amazing in Samoa, they only have about two meals a day because they're getting up and they'll have a morning breakfast or they might not even eat anything big, like some fruit. But they eat towards the end of the day because they're working and they're out on the farms and all the rest of it. They're more manual. You know, it's a manual way of living. Whereas it's sedentary behavior, access to poor um, food choices, um, poverty is a biggest issue because it's easy to eat, you know, white food than it is to eat, you know, vegetables. And you're feeling bad, you know. What? Is it more expensive to eat well? Right now, um, I have to say yes. Um, I'm terribly, terribly concerned about the price of food at the moment. I'm concerned because I think not only is it um, becoming harder to eat just regular rather than just even trying to eat healthy. Um, I'm concerned also, like what I said before, about your food doesn't just feed your body, it feeds your brain. So that's what I meant about underserved groups in our population are going to be more at risk for more mental health problems and more, and we know that mental health, if your mental health's not good, you suffer more. You have a propensity for more type two diabetes and more heart disease and more obesity. So we actually have to fix this food paradigm. Our food system is broken. We need to, you know, like we need to fix the supermarket duopoly. We need to get more gardens going. We need to share more food. Um, I often talk about how neat it is in Italy when I'm over there because, um, you know, I'm a meat lover, you know that, I, I, I don't hide that. Um, but when I'm in Italy, I go to my butcher and he knows where the animal is growing. He knows the farmer. Um, I order it ahead of time. Yeah. Can we get back to that? Do you think as a people we can start 
ask oh, okay. our, our butchers and our and our vegetable people, you know? Well, well, I guess that's what I mean about um, breaking the supermarket duopoly is that before supermarkets existed, every suburb had a butcher, a greengrocer. They had, there was a baker, there, you know, and people shopped locally. Now, I think what's happened is we have... As a new country, because when you think about it, we're new compared to the likes of Italy. So what's happened is those um, ways of eating have remained over hundreds and hundreds of years in Italy. The markets are still there. Sure, they've got the hypermarkets, but people still shop that way. They still do that. We lost that when we actually amalgamated those two super giants that we call our supermarkets. And I think if we're going to do anything, we need to actually embrace the local suppliers and we should actually pay them fairly so that or go or go to the your local food markets on a Sunday and buy the produce there because you're buying it directly from the grower. You know, like that's that's a good thing to do. I actually went to the Otara markets probably a year oh, ago. Okay. It was so good and so cheap. Like it was a, you know, yeah. why am I not coming out here every week and, and shopping? Um, and the Avondale market, the Avondale market's massive and the queues to get in. And, you know, like people are leaving with armfuls of like spinach and coriander. It's just armfuls. And they're getting it for such a good price because they're, and they're paying the grower. That's, you know, that's cool. You know, obviously we talk about being in our groove. Um, so I'd like to ask you what, your food groovers so if you could name your perfect day where your diet's in its groove what would that look like for you okay so um i would like to say i have the um i don't eat the same food every day i believe in diversity that's my key message for everybody leaving here today is don't eat the same thing day after day this is not groundhog so mix it up would be the first thing so you know on days when i'm running out the door and i'm late it could be peanut butter on toast and i'm giving the dog the crusts as i'm walking out the door and i might shove a mandarin in my gob sweet on the days i've got time i might do um, hummus and spinach and a poached egg on toast because that's the bomb. I love that. Because um, um, the hummus is giving me another vegetable source of protein. I've got some greens going on and an egg. So I'm looking at that and it's a jigsaw. I've got protein, carbs and veggies. I'm like tick, tick, tick. Um, and that's how I try and do my breakfast. I, um, at this time of the year, you know, I like um, a couple of bickies with a cup of tea, John. So, you know, two ginger nuts, and I'm a very happy dolly. Uh, two ginger nuts or two biscotti with a cup of tea or coffee mid-morning is lush. Um, so this is what I mean. There's no such thing as good or bad food. It's just, you know, if I'm going to go see my mum in the afternoon, I might share a piece of slice with her because she's in a rest home and, you know, we'll sit there and have a gossip about the oldies. Um, I might... Um, grab a rat and do tuna and coleslaw because that's what's lying in the fridge. Or I might um, grab half a bag of soup and have a cheese toasty with it at lunchtime if I can, you know, because I figure if I can put some colour there, that's got to be a good thing. Um, uh, tonight we're doing beef bourguignon, which you're going to love. I've got guests coming for dinner, so it's very cool. But, um, yeah, there's um, ribbon pasta with that and a bucket of veggies on the side. We'll be doing roasted, uh, roasted Brussels sprouts and stuff. But, you know, the other night it was fish tacos. <laughs> you know, so, um, so that's my thing for me my groove is colour and diversity cool um, broccoli so broccoli um, I just want to this is a personal question so broccoli okay. is boring as batshit um, but what I do is I do there's a pasta called aglio olio pepperoncino so it's a little bit of oil a little bit of olive oil um, fresh garlic and, 
and chilies, mm-hmm. and I steam I steam the broccoli and then I toss it all together, and it makes. Yep. Have I ruined the broccoli? Is that like it's all no. good? All good. Not. I don't have a problem with that. Oh, oh that's like a win for me. Just a and couple- a friend, a friend John, you'll love this. He likes um, he hates Brussels sprouts. He had a real bad thing with with it as a child, and um. But I did it with pancetta, and I roast, and I um, <laughs> and he goes, but Nikki, everything tastes better with bacon. <laughs> that's a good point. That's a good point. But that's good. what I mean. It doesn't have to be boring, you know. Like, please don't think it just has to be steamed vegetables or raw carrots. You know, give it some love. Yeah, I'm I'm hearing you. Just a couple of quick fire questions. What are you reading right now? Ah. Oh. Actually, um, so apart from cookbooks, because that's what nutritionists read, because we're sad, um, is I'm, I love the hard-to-find bookshop. It's one of my favorite places. I like looking at other books. And I found this brilliant book. It's called The, um, the Profiles of Courage. and um, No, Profiles in Courage, and it's by JFK, oh, John wow. F. Kennedy. And oh, he, he's written about people who have given and inspired courage for him. Which wow. I love. Awesome. Brilliant book. What's your favourite cookbook? Would you have one or not? My favourite book. Cookbook. Of all. Cookbook. Ah, oh, The Enchanted Broccoli Forest. No so, It was my first ever cookbook. Um, uh, it's by Molly Katzen, who was a nutritionist who was a revolutionary in San Francisco. It was my first ever cookbook. The Enchanted Broccoli Forest. There, yeah, okay. I'll I'll check that. I'll check that one out. What podcasts are you listening to? Do you listen to podcasts? Yes, I do. Um, I'm really fond. There's this really cool one called The Writer's Almanac, and it's five minutes, and it's random, random bits. Like it's like Trivial Pursuit, but on people, and it's five minutes, and it's brilliant. I love it. So yeah, it's well worth a listen. Cool. And who should I interview next? Oh, in relation to well-being. Yeah. Whatever. Whatever. Well, um, health well-being, that's sort of right. Yeah. Um, what about someone like Lisa Carrington? Yeah, she's, she's, had to, she's had to keep herself well and focused and strong and someone to aspire to. I think she's a fabulous female role model. Um, she'd be lovely. I'd love her. I wouldn't mind. Actually, who I really love is Erin Baker. Okay. Erin Baker. You know, um, I don't know. I, for me, it's not just about athletes, though, John. It's about people that make you feel good, you know. We um, talk about staying, and I've asked you about your food groove. I, I talk about staying in my groove and being in my groove every day. How do you stay in your groove? Um, I, don't sweat the, I don't sweat the small stuff. The stuff I can't, you know, I just, I've got to actually, I can't be super mum. I think I try really hard to cover all bases and sometimes I've actually just got to say to myself, I can't. I can't get that thing done on that list today. I make the list, but, you know, I might get down there and I don't get the, the rest of the list done and that's okay. Tomorrow's another day. It's no big deal. How do you chill out? How do you switch um, off the brain? Um, okay, so a couple of things. I, I believe that you um, energize in nature better than anything else. So I'm in my happy place, either walking in the Waitakere's, um, and I try and make time for that. 
I also like walking close to the sea. I think um, even if it's just walking my dog along Takapuna Beach, what I love about the sea and a forest is that I think there is more oxygen coming from trees because they photosynthesize. So I love that feel, feeling and that quiet. And I get really, I don't mean to, but I try and, I, it freaks me out or it makes me wonder when I see people wandering along with headphones um, listening to music when they're in nature. I'm like, actually, the sound of nature is there to care for you. Um, so maybe that's when you need to switch off. Nikki, this is what I've written down. So this is what I'm going to take forward from this one. And I hope okay. you've um, enjoyed this at home. I'm not going to eat standing up. I'm not going to eat in front of technology or in the car. Um, I'm going to add meat to my vegetables. There we go. <laughs> that is going to be... That is going to be um, a little bit harder. I'm going to take some, um, I'm going to put some awareness around the fruit and vegetables that are cheaper and then try and learn what vegetables are actually in winter and all that sort of stuff. And I'm going to try and um, shop locally, although it's pretty hard to find a fruit shop, although there is a really good one in GI. Nice. Um, I, need, I need to not have any guilt and start slowly. So I'm going to change something today. Cool? That's perfect. perfect. Nikki, I'm a lost cause for you. Obviously, you've been working with me for 30 odd years and consistency has always been my issue, but I'm trying to get on top of that by the little things. It's always an absolute pleasure talking to you. You make it uh, really simple for me. It's, uh, and I think that's a real gift. So thank you for all you do and thank you for being with me on Open Minded today. I don't think you're a lost cause at all. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And with that, we'll say goodbye. <laughs> Bye. This has been Open Minded with John Kuhn. Thanks for listening and don't forget to like and subscribe.